Hey, welcome to the podcast, More Than Bread. This is episode number 251, but it's also episode number one of our Lent series. If you've been with me the last few months, I, I took a short break after I finished Paul's letters from prison with episode number 250, but now we are back for a series on Lent. So this episode, maybe even the next couple of episodes, are a bit of an intro. If, if you grew up in a church like the one I grew up in, or you didn't grow up in church at all, you may not be all that familiar with the season of Lent. I mean, in my church, if it wasn't in the Bible, we didn't mess with it. And Lent ain't in the Bible. If that's you, or or you grew up with no church background at all, when I say Lent, it, if I don't mean the past tense of Lent, <laughs> you're like, man, all I can think of is ashes and fish fries. But actually, the season of Lent has a very rich history. It likely goes all the way back to the early Christian church, second century, The early church had a a period of preparation for Easter. The length of time varied over the course of the decades, but but by the 4th century, Lent had evolved into this 40-day period of time, most often connected to symbolic of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, which was his preparation time for public ministry. Over time, Lent became very well established, like Advent, a, a time to prepare for the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. It's become, over the the centuries, a time of preparation, a a journey of the heart embarked upon by millions of Christians every year. It's a season that's about 40 days long, and I say about because, I'll be honest, it's a bit hard for me to figure out the count. It's 40 days, not counting Sundays, ending on, I've heard, the sundown on the Thursday before Good Friday, but... But I can't make those work out to 40 days. I I don't know, maybe because it's a leap year. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to go from today, Ash Wednesday, February 14th, to Good Friday, March 29th. As my normal more than bread routine has been, I'll drop episodes Monday through Friday each week. Each week we'll we'll have a scripture that I'll read and I'll say some words about it and then I'll, I'll pray for you. We'll drop episodes Monday through Friday each week, so we'll, by the time Easter comes, we'll at least get close to 40 episodes in this Lent series. Now, the overall theme that I've chosen for the series will be preparing for more. Preparation is the major overriding theme of Lent. Throughout the centuries, it's been a time to prepare our hearts for Christ. It's been a time that, to some degree, is meant to mirror the journey of Jesus as he prepared for his public ministry, those 40 days in the wilderness, but but ultimately also as he prepared for the cross. Throughout the centuries, Lent has focused on spiritual practices, especially prayer, fasting, and giving, but, but also including things like confession and repentance. And it's all about preparing our hearts for the celebration of the resurrection, which, if you think about it, is ultimately all about preparing our hearts for his presence. The resurrection of Christ leads us to the promise of his presence. In addition to these foundational practices of preparation, we'll see some themes woven throughout the texts that we read, like repentance and forgiveness. I mean, Lent really calls us to this honest, internal look into our hearts, introspective. It's an opportunity to acknowledge our failures, our sins, and 
and places of brokenness that are in need of wholeness and growth, healing from God. We'll we'll talk about repentance as not just a a way of feeling bad for the bad stuff. We'll, We'll talk about repentance as a pathway to reconciliation with God and others. I mean, the cross is this massive massive reminder in the midst of our wasteland of guilt. It's a reminder of grace and forgiveness. Lent is meant to be a reminder of grace and and the potential of new beginnings. Uh, Another theme woven through is is that of spiritual practices. Lent encourages us to train. It's not enough to try hard to be like Jesus. So many of us, we say, okay, for the next 40 days, I'm going to try hard to be like Jesus. But it's not about trying hard. It's about training hard. Lent is a time of training. We train for the resurrection with spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and giving. Through these practices, we put ourselves in a place where God can bless us, where God can transform us. Throughout this uh, Lent series, we're going to look at practices of giving in, giving up, and giving away. Uh, Another theme, one we don't like a whole lot, but is so much a part of the days leading up to the resurrection of Jesus, are the themes of suffering and sacrifice. Lent is a time to pause and and ponder the the reality of Christ's suffering and sacrifice on the cross. There's going to be some hard, dark things that we talk about. But it's an invitation to an unhurried reflection on the, the profound sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Before he ever called us to take up our cross for him, he took up his for us. Lent reminds us of the transformative power of sacrificial love. And finally, a theme that will be woven through that will encounter is that of renewal and rebirth. Ultimately, Lent is an invitation to go on the journey of identifying with Jesus in his death so that we might be one with him in his resurrection life. Like Paul says, resurrection power has been let loose. These themes and practices will guide us and inform us on our journey of preparation, preparing for more, preparing for more. So let me give you two scriptures for this first episode. The first is a a life proverb, one of my favorites from the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23. It very simply says this, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. You can memorize that verse. It's not very long. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, more important than anything, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The other verses are actually a prayer. Jesus' prayer before he went to the cross is found in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. He prays this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So in other words, he's praying for us, those who will believe down through the the centuries, those who will believe, that's you and me. My prayer is for them that all of them would be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself 
may be in them. These are words that Jesus, the Son of God, is praying to his Father God. I'm calling this Lent series Preparing for More. At Calvary, as, as we're taking aim at our 2030 vision, I've been encouraging people to join me in asking God for more, living in the overflow of God, asking God for more. So this Lent series is about preparing for more. And while preparing for more may involve more than my heart, it certainly does not involve less than my heart. Preparing for more is a journey of the heart. And so the psalmist says, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. What are you doing to guard your wellspring of life? Jesus, or excuse me, John Eldridge writes about this truth, this idea of the heart being the wellspring of life when he says this, out of this wellspring flows all true caring and meaningful work, all real worship and all sacrifice, our faith, hope, and love issue from this fount as well. In other words, anything that makes a life worth living flows out of your deep heart. Let me just say that again. Anything that makes a life worth living flows out of your deep heart. In his book, Walking, Waking the Dead, excuse me, uh, Eldred shares a letter that he wrote to his friends. He writes, dear friends, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption. It's based on many, many conversations, emails, and experiences over the past several months. My assumption is this, things seem to be getting harder or more intense, more demanding. The battle seems to be thicker, doesn't it? Okay, a few of you are sailing right along, and life is going great, and we're very happy for the three of you. But as for the rest of us and for, for the folks we know, life is increasingly hard. Struggling relationships, struggling bodies, struggling finances, so many struggles, and so little time and energy to deal with it all. We need, he closes his letter, we need more life. See, in the normal condition, that cry echoes in our souls. I I want more life. I want to live. When a, when a college student goes out and drinks enough to lower the boundaries of her heart and wakes up in the morning in a nameless bed, the evening before started with at least a whisper of not a cry, I want more life. When a husband or a wife sits down with a counselor, marriage at risk because one of them went looking for intimacy somewhere else, or one of them just has a brokenness in their heart that won't allow them to, to love in the way they need to love, you'll, you'll often hear those words, we just want something more. I want more life. When a person jumps into a career and drops everything else of value along the side of the path, it was dropped in the hopes that the career journey would lead to more life. So let me ask you, right now, does that cry echo in your heart? And I just think back to some conversations with people in the last few weeks, a marriage that's moving through some hard places, a request to pray for two people struggling with cancer, someone dealing with a spouse who doesn't believe in God, a husband struggling just to provide for his family, a student torn between being a regular college student and a Jesus follower. But, but let me tell you this, the, the journey for more life is not primarily an external journey. It's a journey of the heart. That's what Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, that thing inside you, for it is the wellspring of life. And the quest for more life is not a financial journey. I, me giving you stock tips will not help. In fact, you don't want stock tips from me. I'm still waiting for my Enron stock to turn the corner. <laughs> But, but you know what? If you take God's journey of the heart, there will come a point man, where you realize you're, you're the richest person you know. 
This is not a how to win friends and influence people journey, though I can almost guarantee you if you guard your heart above all else, you will do both. The quest for more life is not simply found in career choices, though letting God shape and expand our hearts will bring new significance to every hour we work. It's a journey of the heart. Now, what I mean by that, (laughs) in fact, if you're listening as this drops, you're listening on Valentine's Day and and some of you guys, as you heard that, it's like, oh my goodness, you just got that deer caught in the headlights look like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Listen, man, journey of the heart. <laughs> some of you think a journey of the heart, just what I need, six weeks of Valentine's Day. I forgot today, my wife is going to want to talk about feelings. But listen, guys, this is not just for women. A journey of the heart is not just an emotional, touchy-feely journey. It may be emotional. There may be tears, You've seen them come out of my eyes. It will be experiential, but the reality is if the heart is the wellspring of life, then when we speak of the heart, we're speaking of the deepest, most real you. I mean, think about our language of the heart. If someone is kind, they go the second mile to help. Like Lynn getting a care package because of what she's going through with her dad. The people who brought it, they had hearts of gold. (laughs) Ever since Mel Gibson's movie, who hasn't wanted to be a brave heart? If you want to really connect with someone, communicate on a deeper level. What do you ask for? You ask for a heart-to-heart. When someone gives their all for the team or the job, we say they really left their heart out on the field. And if they hold back, they might say, my heart's just not in it. Our deepest hurts we call heartaches. If Lynn would ever leave me, I'd be brokenhearted and she would be heartless. (laughs) But when she tells me that she'll never leave me, I grow lighthearted. So let me ask you again, how's your heart? Paul once wrote, therefore, since through God's mercy, said this in 2 Corinthians 4.1, through God's mercy, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Life externally at that point for Paul and his friends in Corinth was full of hardship. Describing their external circumstances, he used words like hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, but they were not losing heart. So ask yourself, am I losing heart? Am I losing my heart? Is it, is it a dream that's disappeared, a heart hurt that's turned bitter, an ongoing failure or fear? Maybe you've tried to accomplish something great for Jesus and you failed and you can't understand why God didn't help. And you're losing heart. Nobody wants to lose heart. We, we want to be renewed, strong on the inside. We, we know that life on the outside is up and down valleys and mountain peaks, but, but we don't want to lose heart. How's your heart? This series begins with that question. During the difficult days of World War II, a time when many longed for better days and good news, Winston Churchill said, the great thing is to get the true picture, whatever it is. What is the true picture of your heart? See, in John 17, Jesus is praying for our hearts. Before he goes to the cross, he prays for our hearts. And when he prays for us, he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. When he prays this prayer, I mean, isn't he praying that we would have one heart? one heart, one mind, that our hearts would be united, that we would know how much we are loved by God, and that in turn we would love others. This is an ongoing dream in Jesus' heart, the dream of unity, the dream of true community. That, that's what he's always intended for his church. 
And I know there's still so many times when we don't get it right, so many times when we miss the opportunity, turn our backs, harden our hearts. Too many times when we hang on to bitterness or selfishness, too many times where we are anything but a community, anything but one heart. But there are also times when we get it right. (laughs) There are times when we get it. And I believe with all my heart that in those times, there's no one cheering louder than Jesus because it is a dream in Jesus' heart that we would experience true community. Today, if you're listening to this episode as I dropped it, it is Valentine's Day. One of the legends about the start of Valentine's Day says that under the rule of Emperor Claudius II, Rome was involved in many bloody and unpopular war campaigns. Claudius the Cruel was having a difficult time getting soldiers to join his military league, so he he decided it was because men did not want to leave their loves or their families, so he outlawed marriage. He canceled engagements. Saint Valentine was a priest at Rome who believed so much in the community of marriage that he secretly married couples. When Claudius found out, he apprehended Valentine and had him beaten and beheaded. And he died on February 14th in the year 270. Men have been dying on Valentine's Day ever since. But seriously, isn't it interesting? He died because of the dream of community. Jesus has a dream. He has a dream that we would be one in, and he was willing to die for that dream. Do you have any dreams that you're willing to die for? Do you know what I found? I found that the more in step I am with God, the more often my dreams turn into prayers. Jesus was in step with his Father, so his greatest dreams were turned into his greatest prayers. Like this one in John 17, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they may be one heart and mind with us. Jesus, knowing that the end is near, he prays this one final time, one final time, he lifts his dream up to Father God as a prayer. And notice what his dream is. He didn't pray for our success or lives of comfort and safety. He didn't even pray for our happiness. The dream in the heart of Jesus was that we would be one heart. His dream was for unity, true community. He prayed that we would be one, that we would love each other so that we could change the world. The first day of Lent is called Ash Wednesday. I don't know. It seems a little bit ironic that Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday would happen on the same day. But perhaps it sets the stage for our journey better than we could have imagined. Ash Wednesday is a reminder of the frailty of life. It's a reminder of the cross. Valentine's Day is a reminder of the life that comes from love, the love that comes from the cross. Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday are connected by the cross. So perhaps the the best thing any one of us could do this first day of Lent or this first episode of our series, whenever you're listening to it, is to simply say, Jesus, here's my heart. Guard it and make it whole. Help me to forgive and love others as you have forgiven and loved me. Let me pray for you. Father God, for each and every person listening, I pray that in these next 40 plus days, that you would prepare our hearts that you would prepare our hearts for more, for more of you, 
for, for more community, for more unity, for more power in your spirit, for more of your blessings so that we could bless others, for more giving up, more giving in, and more giving away so that we can put ourselves in a place where we are living in your overflow. Oh, Father God, would you pour your spirit, would you pour your grace out upon us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.